have a matchup for the ages in South Beach for Super Bowl 54. The high-flying Kansas City Chiefs. Smothering boa constrictor defense. Rogers pass. It is intercepted by Richard Sherman. So we're going to prepare for a great opponent and we look forward to the challenge. Yeah, the, I mean, guys aren't just happy to be here. Guys are playing to win. That intro courtesy of Golick and Wingo. And if that doesn't get you hyped to talk about football today, I'm not sure what will. It is the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along as always. Post-Championship Sunday, we got a lot of football to talk about over the course of the next hour. But we'll also dive into UFC a little bit because there was a big, if not long, fight this weekend. Plus, we've got skiing to talk about. Tomorrow night, the longest-running consecutive tournament of its kind is coming right here to Marquette County. I'm going to have a guest join me in studio here in about 15 minutes. We'll break that down for you then. Plus, is your NHL team on the cusp of being a contender, but you're still missing a piece or two? Still a piece away? I'm going to tell you who your GM needs to be on the lookout for. Plus, Tom Brady was spotted hanging out with Mark Davis this weekend. Well, does that mean anything? I don't know. But with us in the sports media world, we love to speculate. That is fodder for us. So what I'm going to do is later in the show, I'm going to rank the top 10 potential landing spots for a new quarterback next year. If Tom Brady is truly leaving New England, which again, we don't know for a fact, but where would be the best place for him to go? I'm going to rank the 10 most likely teams to have somebody else under center next year. All that and more coming up over the course of the next hour. Glad to have you along. Let's start with the NFL yesterday, per usual. Well, the Chiefs did it again. They got out to a slow start. They overcame it. They come back to beat the Titans 35-24. About midway through the second half of that game, when the Chiefs went up, what was it, like 28-17, to and you're thinking, yeah, the Titans aren't built to come back like this. Like Even 28-17, to you're like, Eh, this feels like it's probably over. So then I'm watching it with the guys, and I'm like, does anybody know when the last time the Chiefs went to the Super Bowl was? Because they're always good. They're Most years, they're always pretty good. They're perennially one of the better teams in the AFC, and it seems like every year they're in the playoffs in some way, shape, or form. But when are they ever actually able to get to the Super Bowl? Last year, they went to overtime with the Patriots in the AFC Championship and lost. Two years ago, they blew a lead against the Titans at home, and the Titans would be eliminated the following week. But I couldn't actually think of a time when the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl. Not in my lifetime. Not in a lot of people's lifetime. I was shocked to learn that the last time the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl prior to this season was Super Bowl IV, when they beat the Minnesota Vikings. That was 50 years ago. That was February of 1970, the last time the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl. I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that. I tell you what, I don't know that there is another coach more deserving of finally getting his first ring than Andy Reid. The guy is seventh all-time in coaching wins in the NFL, and he has no Super Bowl rings. He's only been to one. Only been to one. That was about 15 years ago when Dion Branch decided to just go beast mode and carry the Patriots to another Super Bowl ring. So in that sense, not only do I think the Chiefs are going to win, 
but I'm pulling for Andy Reid. I like Andy Reid, and I'm hoping that his legacy can be firmly cemented as a Hall of Famer because he's got the wins, but he doesn't have that ring. That's the only thing that he's been missing. Tell you what, though, the way that game started out yesterday didn't look like he was going to get the chance of the season. You know what? Mike Vrabel is such a good clock management guy. I'm convinced Mike Vrabel is the master of NFL time and space. He is the clock management guru. Even though his mustache was trimmed down a little less prominent than normal, didn't take away from his timekeeping ability, he's like the anti-Andy Reid in that sense. But I tell you what, the Chiefs' lack of quality starts, should we say, their lack of getting out to a hot start, they fall behind early, Some people are saying they can't do that three games in a row, especially not in the Super Bowl against that 49er defense. I'm going to tell you why that doesn't concern me nearly as much as the 49ers' biggest weakness, which I'm going to do later in this segment. But let's move over to the NFC Championship game, where San Francisco gets out to a 27-0 lead, and they route Green Bay 37-20, And they're heading back to the Super Bowl for the first time since 2013. Which, by the way, is the only Super Bowl San Fran has been to and lost. They're going for their sixth ring here in 13 days. Ring number six. They are doing so with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. A guy who didn't really have to use his top weapon last night. George Kittle was largely pedestrian for that game. Because Raheem Mostert, Mostert? something like that, Raheem Mostert decided to have the night of his life. This was a guy who was cut by six teams, six different teams, before joining San Francisco. In fact, he never even carried the ball for any of the six teams that cut him. They cut him before he even took a handoff. His first career handoff came in a 49er uniform, his seventh different team. And last night, the biggest game he's ever played in, Raheem Mostert carried the ball 29 times for 220 yards and four touchdowns. Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball eight times. He was six of eight for 77 yards. No TDs, no picks. They didn't need him to do any more than that. How did the Niners hang 37 points on just eight pass attempts against one of the best defenses in football? Maybe the only front four, maybe front seven even, at stopping the run, that could even hold a candle to the Niners. Can you think of another front four or front seven as good at stopping the run as the Packers or the Niners? It's tough. It's tough to think of one. And yet, Raheem Mostert, Mostert, whatever his name is, just went off. Now, here is the 49ers' biggest weakness, in my mind, and I'm much more concerned about that than I am the Chiefs' biggest weakness, which is getting out to slow starts. The Niners' biggest weakness is not their quarterback play, but it's the lack of trust that Kyle Shanahan has in his quarterback. Since being picked off by Eric Kendricks in the divisional win over Minnesota a couple of weeks ago, Jimmy Garoppolo has thrown the ball 14 times. Not completed 14 passes since then, but he's only attempted 14 throws since getting picked off by the All-Pro Minnesota linebacker a couple of weeks ago. That's how little a trust Kyle Shanahan has in his quarterback. And is that warranted? You can make the argument that it is. But to me, this is Kyle Shanahan saying, 
go do just enough for us, Jimmy. I don't need you to go out and win the game for us. That's what Moster, Monster, whatever he is, that's what Kittle or Debo Samuel are for. We don't need you to go out and win the game for us. To me, it shows a lack of trust in his quarterback. And he has Jimmy there as a game manager. Now, Jimmy hears it. He hears the noise. He hears the complaints. He hears what us and the media say about him. But to have your coach openly show you that he doesn't have that trust instilled in you, that can send a different message. Now, does Jimmy understand? I just need to be a game manager. I don't need to do too much here. I got good weapons. Maybe he does. Maybe he does understand that. But maybe it eats at him a little bit. And maybe he feels like he has something to prove. Because even if the Niners win on Super Bowl Sunday and he gets that ring, you think that people's opinion of him is going to change? If he throws 8, 10, something like that, if he throws below 15 times in the Super Bowl, even if they win, that's not going to change anyone's perception of Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback. No, maybe he's a guy that is tired of hearing how he's a game manager. He's got a Super Bowl ring hypothetically, if they win. So why are people still talking about him like Joe Flacco? Why are people still saying it's a fluke? If I'm Jimmy, do I want my legacy to be Joe Flacco? No, I'm going to go out on Super Bowl Sunday and just ball out. I want to go 25 for 40, three touchdown passes, no picks, something like that. That kind of stat line. That in a Super Bowl ring might change our opinion of Jimmy G., But no one is looking at the Niners and saying that they got here because of Jimmy G. If they win the Super Bowl, no one's going to look at this team and say it's because of their quarterback play. And you know what? If the Niners want to win on Super Bowl Sunday, they might have no choice but to take the reins off and let Jimmy go to work. At some point, you got to play with house money and let your quarterback go win a game for you. Because do you think they can do the Titans method, the Tannehill? Three games in a row, they did it against Minnesota, and they had a huge day from Tevin Coleman. They did it last night against Green Bay, and Raheem Mostert had a huge day. Do you think they can get away with doing that, like the Titans try to do three games in a row? They're doing exactly what Vrabel did with Tannehill. Barely throw the football. If you do, you get out of your hand quick, and you let your running game do the dirty work for you. You think they can do that three times in a row? against a Chiefs defense that is better than what people give it credit for and better than they were at the midway point of the season. You think they can do that? I don't. I don't. To me, that's the Niners' biggest weakness. Now, what's the Chiefs' biggest weakness? Well, it's their lack of starting fast. And this Niners' defense is for real. you got arguably the league's best offense going up against the league's best defense. So why am I saying that the Chiefs can get down early, like they did the last two weeks against Houston and against Tennessee. Why am I saying that they can do that, and I'm still not worried? I still think they can come back. I think they can three-peat. They can go back to back to back. Slow starts leading to comeback wins. The offense that Andy Reid runs with Kansas City, by definition, is a West Coast offense. So one of the common themes that a West Coast offense does, is they script their first 15 plays of the game. 15 or so, I believe that's what the Chiefs have been doing. I believe that they go with the first 15 plays. That's what they script. Now, with a weapon like Pat Mahomes, he's a guy you just want to take the harness off and just let him go out there and go to work. 
just let Pat Mahomes ball out and win a game for you because he absolutely can do that. Right now, he is the most talented quarterback in football. There's no discussion. He's more talented than Tom Brady, probably at any point in his career. He's more talented than Drew Brees right now. He's more talented than Aaron Rodgers right now. He is absolutely a quarterback that a coach can put all his faith into, doesn't need to script him, doesn't need to put him in a harness. He can let this kid go out there, just draw something in the dirt, run a Madden play, and this kid will win you a football game. So why does Andy Reid script the first 15 plays? Why is that part of his offense? It's holding Kansas City back. They're not letting Pat Mahomes run down there, put up points. They're putting a halter on him for the first 15 plays of the game. Why are they doing that? Because Andy Reid is getting information. He's downloading what that defense does. He wants to see, all right, if I script a quarterback draw here in the first, you know, play number five, I know what to watch for on play number five. I want to see how that defense is going to react to it. So I can know later in the game, do I go back to this or do I just push it aside? I want to see Travis Kelsey run a post route. I want to see that early on. So I know, is this something to put a star next to in my play chart or do I shove it for the rest of the game? Andy Reid is seeing how the defenses react to each type of play call, those first 15 plays. And then he's either putting a star next to that in his playbook or he's crossing it out for that game. Andy Reid is getting information to attack the opponent's defense. He finds out within the first 15 plays, is this play going to work later on? Is this something we can keep going back to and exploit? He finds out what the defense is weakest at 15 plays into the game. Now, granted, you put a harness on your offense in a sense. They don't start as fast as they probably could if you let them go. But that invaluable information, its honestly, it's, it's genius how Andy Reid does this. He's gathering information, assessing whether a certain play is going to work here in the first 15 plays. And then once he has what he needs, he lets Pat Mahomes go to work. And the Chiefs come roaring right back. Because the last two weeks, we've seen that. They run about 15 plays in the opening quarter. They fall behind, but Andy Reid's got what he needs. Knows how to exploit your defense for the next three quarters. And that's just what they've done. I believe they can do that. A third straight game. I don't believe San Francisco can hold Jimmy G to eight passes or so. Below 15 passes, whatever he's had here in the last two games. They can't do that a third game. To me, that's why the Chiefs are going to win on Super Bowl Sunday. You can book it. First time in 50 years, the sports pen is picking Kansas City as this year's projected NFL champ. Let's take our first time out. When we come back, Gary Rasmussen, head coach and tournament director at the Ishpeming Ski Club, will join me. He's going to talk about the club's upcoming 133rd annual tournament, longest of its kind, by the way. That interview next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Joined in studio by a guest who's promoting a very very special event to the UP and to the Ishpeming community. Gary Rasmussen, head coach at the Ishpeming Ski Club, kind enough to give us some time. He is promoting the 133rd annual Ishpeming Ski Club tournament, the longest running in North America. Gary, appreciate you being here. Tell us a little about what's going on over in Ishpeming. Well, we are 
celebrating our 133rd annual ski jumping tournament of the Ishpeming Ski Club out at Suicide Bowl, Tuesday, January 21st at 6 p.m. Well, tell me about what goes into this tournament. First of all, let's talk a little bit about the history. And I know this brings a lot of pride to the community, to you, to the association. Tell me about a little bit of the history, you know. Well, the ski club goes back to 1887. And right from the very beginning, we have held world-class competitions. We've had jumpers coming from Europe right since 1887. The club was founded by Norwegians and Scandinavians in our local community. And we, over the years, have had Olympic team members, national team members, jumpers that went to the world championships, um, national champions. Uh, as an example, this year's tournament is actually honoring my father, Wilbert Rasmussen. Uh, my dad set the hill record on Suicide Hill in 1946 at the age of 15 on his very first competitive jump on the hill. And he went on from there to make two world championship teams, the 1952 Olympic team, and won two national championships. So, um, and, and he's one of, of many others. You know, the Flying Beetle family had two brothers on Olympic teams and, and won national championships. We got Coy Hill, who's in the Ski Hall of Fame, Joe Peralt, Rudy Mackey, Dr. Don Hurst from Marquette. Um, Jerry Goyen made, uh, I believe, the 1960 Olympic team. Jack Beatla made that team. So we've had jumpers historically from this club have been top-notch, high-caliber ski jumpers. Um, the most recent, uh, Reese Hecox from Marquette, was on the national team and actually won gold medals in two different international competitions in Europe back in the 90s, which nobody from our club ever did that before. So uh, we've even had a young man recently, you know, as a top-tier jumper. Well, Gary, this event is part of a national circuit. You're having it midweek, a Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Why are you having it midweek? Well, we have it midweek because, yes, we are a part of two different circuits. We're part of the U.S. Cup which is tournaments out in Lake Placid on the Olympic Hills, Brattleboro, Vermont. Uh, we have tournaments here in the Midwest at Westby, Wisconsin, uh, Fox River Grove, Illinois, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and Ishperming. That's what we call a five-hill tour. That's our own central circuit. Then the U.S. Cup heads out west to Steamboat Springs and the Park City, Utah. So we are a part of these two circuits, and all of these jumpers have to try to get to every event. And there aren't enough weekends to go around. So as a cooperative measure to really make both of these tours be a success, we and Minneapolis and, and periodically other clubs will have a midweek tournament. Gary, how about some of the events for those of our listeners who don't know? What could they expect if they're attending this event for the first time? Well, number one, a world-class competition of some of the finest ski jumpers in the United States and, and jumpers coming from Finland and Slovenia. So we're going to have a, a field of world-class competitors, and they will see some jumps longer than the length of a football field. We have sent a number of jumpers over 300 feet, Every year now since the 90s, and this will be no exception. But from a social aspect, 
the communities of Ishpeming, Nagani, and Marquette rise to this occasion every single year. We pack that bowl with several thousand people. It is the original tailgate. As ski jumping is the original extreme sport, we had tailgate parties at the Ishpeming Ski Club before there were pickup trucks with tailgates. It started in 1887 when people came to those tournaments by foot or horse and buggy. We have bonfires. We invest between $1,000 and $1,500 just in the wood that we burn in those fires. And at the end of the tournament, we have a fantastic firework display. It's not really on par with what you'll see at uh, Lower Harbor on the 4th of July, but trust me, for a midwinter spectacle, our fireworks show is phenomenal. It's really a great event. So, Gary, for those who are looking to attend your event, for those who may not know, how do you get to Suicide Hill? What's the cost of admission? Any other pertinent details? Well, the, the admission is $15 in advance, $20 at the gate, and our admission buttons, are, which are booster buttons, they actually admit you to every event we do for the year. So all of our cross-country races, our junior ski jumping tournaments, our Nordic combined events, you can get into every single one of them with this annual booster button that's $15 at local vendors. Um, you'll see posters spread all over the community. The vendors that have the buttons are on the posters, and you should be able to access those buttons anywhere between now and next Tuesday. Well, Gary, I'm glad you brought that up because you talked about some of the other events, other tournaments that the Ishpeming Ski Club hosts. We're talking with Gary Rasmussen, by the way, head coach of the Ishpeming Ski Club. And, Gary, tell me about some of the other events going on throughout the year and some of the other programs that you put on over there. Well, we have... Wonderful ski teams. We call it a ski team, but we have a cross-country ski team, boys and girls. We have a jumping ski team, boys and girls. We also have Nordic Combined, which is a combination of ski jumping and cross-country racing. So we have youth events for kids ages really three years old. We've had three-year-old kids come out and jump our 13-meter hill. We've got a five-year-old right now who took about 10 jumps on that hill last night, um, took his first jumps on that hill Saturday. And, and it's just fun and exciting to see these little kids come out there and, and strap these skis on and go. But we will host tournaments that are national caliber tournaments for ski jumpers and cross-country ski racers on numerous occasions throughout the year because we have five ski jumps out at suicide ranging all the way from a little 13 meter snow bump up to the 90 meter giant that the guys will be jumping and gals next tuesday in international competition We've got various different cross-country ski trails that are all world-class ski trails. The Norman Uhala Circuit is a phenomenal cross-country ski circuit and actually is the best in the Midwest where we have Nordic ski clubs. Like our kids went to a tournament last weekend, the cross-country race was 15 laps on the outrun of the ski jump. That's not the caliber of race that we host here out at, at Suicide Bowl. We have 5, 10, and 15-kilometer courses and, and, again, world-class events there. So we've got a lot going on. We jump in the summer. We've got three plastic hills on our 13, 25, and 40-meter jumps. And so we'll have training camps and tournaments all summer long as well as in the winter. So. 
Well, Gary, and I just want to clarify, you don't have to be a world-class Olympian to go out to Suicide Hill. If you're a novice like me and I wanted to get involved and try my luck at it, how would I go about doing that? All you have to do is contact me or show up out at the hill. We run ski schools every Tuesday and Thursday night at 6 p.m. We also go out at 10 a.m. on Saturdays, and and that is a little more variable. We are typically somebody is there on Saturday, but if we just so happen to be traveling to a competition out of town, you may not find me. But other than that, every Tuesday and Thursday night we're there. Most Saturdays we're there. And in all ages, we'll have little kids come out and try. We had a Winnebago from Traverse City on the 4th of July, two summers ago. Jumped out of Winnebago, a four-year-old girl and a six-year-old boy within a half an hour. Both of those kids jumped our 14-meter. A week later, a 42-year-old school teacher came from Grand Rapids, and that young lady trained with me for about an hour, jumped to 13, and the very next day jumped to 25. Is equipment available on demand there? Yes, it is. We have approximately 40 pair of boots, 40 pair of skis, probably 25 to 35 jumpsuits. We've got helmets. Everything you could possibly need. Show up with good socks and a good pair of gloves, and we'll set you up with the rest. How many tournaments or so would you say that your club goes out to, goes out of town for per year? Well, I try to recommend that the real little kids only go to four-a-year counting hours because it's a lot of road time. I don't want little kids to get burned out sitting in a car for many, many hours. Now, when I was competing internationally and jumping the circuit, I would ski in 15 to 20 tournaments a year, counting summer tournaments on plastic and winter. And Tim Ziegler right now, who's our best young jumper who's skiing the senior circuit, I'm pretty sure he'll jump in 15 to 20 tournaments this year. Most of our kids who are between 5 and 15 years old will jump in about a half a dozen. Our goal is to have some of them qualify for the national championships where they get to take a trip out to Steamboat Springs or Park City or the old Olympic Hills in Lake Placid or something like that. So, Gary, is the Ski Club or information for this tournament available online, on Facebook, anything like that? All of the above. You can go to our website, ishskiclub.com, and there's contact information for me there and Dick Ziegler, a cross-country coach. You can also go to Facebook, Ishbrooming Ski Club there. My own personal Facebook account has information about ski jumping on it all the time. And so there's there's three avenues right there, uh, website and Facebook and my own account where you can get tied into the Ishbrooming Ski Club. I'm just amazed. 133 consecutive years of this tournament, and it is, you know, technically the longest running in the country. It's just amazing to me that you can keep something like that going on that long. It, it is amazing, and trust me, without a few dedicated individuals, you know, right now we've got Tom Peterson and Tom Sodergren who are are older than I am. They've been around it for 40, 50 plus years, and putting hours and hours and hours of time of hard labor making sure these hills are maintained. In recent years, we've got some nice equipment to help, but it, the equipment doesn't run itself. Our, our cross-country coach and new club president, Dick Ziegler, is a phenomenal laborer as well as a very intelligent technician as far as running machines and running chainsaws and and getting out there and, and rounding up work bees and and 
And honest to God, I feel like I do a lot and I do next to nothing compared to a lot of these guys and volunteers. In addition to that, our communities, like right now, the Lions, the Kiwanis, the, the Rotary Clubs, all these different organizations, the Elks Clubs, they all volunteer. They all have guys come out and help, guys and gals. They sell our buttons. They park our cars. They build those bonfires. And there's just a tremendous influx of talent and labor of people who just love to see the tradition continue. 133rd annual Ishpeming Ski Club Tournament coming up Tuesday the 21st at Suicide Hill. Gary, anything I missed, anything else that you want to touch on here with the listeners that I may not have picked up on? Well, just show up. Get you know If you can't get to one of our vendors during the week at a $15 button, it's 20 bucks at the gate. Just a bonfire and the fireworks are worth that because they're phenomenal. Got a great concession stand. You got food out there. You have beverages out there and a world-class competition. So be a part of it. Gary, last thing before I let you go, what's on the menu coming up Tuesday night? Any food specific for skiing? Not really. We have pasties and brats and hot dogs. I mean, youper food for youper people. Um, again, we'll have Finnish and Slovenian foreigners jumping, which is fantastic. We always love having a good Finnish ski team here. Um, two years ago, Elias Vanska tied the hill record on the long-standing jump. He's from Kopio, Finland. So a lot of our local ancestry can be proud of what we bring out to Suicide Hill. And, and local kids, Tim Ziegler is going to be jumping this year. Tim has come a long, long way in the couple of years that he's been jumping the big hills. And I guess it's like three or four years I've been coaching him now. Um, he jumped 99 and a half meters last summer in Slovenia. So we, we are really thrilled about his progress. And there's some local talent, folks. Come on out and, and watch Tim fly some down to the bottom of Suicide Hill. Gary Rasmussen, Ishpeming Ski Club coach and the director of the 133rd annual Ishpeming Ski Club tournament coming up Tuesday the 21st at 6 p.m. at Suicide Hill. Appreciate you being here, Gary. Man, that was great stuff. Looking forward to Tuesday night. Thank you. Let's take a time out. More after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back, Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along. Here's your Sports Center update. Saturday night, Conor McGregor, TKO, Donald Cowboy Cerrone in just 40 seconds at UFC 246. How about that? How disappointing was that fight? I tell you what, I feel for Cowboy, though. He's one of those guys that is going to be known for always being above average at what he does, being a legend, being a veteran, but maybe not for the right reason. Maybe not a legend for the right reasons because he's going to be known as the guy who could never win the big one. But the Notorious is back, and that's all I'm going to spend on that. I feel weird talking about a fight for longer than it actually happened. So let's keep moving on. Baylor is the new top-ranked team in men's college basketball, the seventh different team to occupy the top spot this year. That ties a single-season record. Hockey update, by the way, Northern Michigan moving up two spots to number 15 in this week's poll. And finally, the world's largest Snickers bar was unveiled last week in Waco, Texas. Weighing in at 4,700 pounds, the Snickers bar is 2 feet tall and 26 inches wide. It is the size of 43,000 single-size Snickers bars put together. It's a big Snickers. 
And that's your Sports Center update. Glad that you're along per usual. If Tom Brady truly is on the move, if he truly is leaving New England, what would be the best team for him to go to? We're going to get to that here in a couple of minutes. Right now, though, I want to talk to you about hockey. We are coming up on about a month or so, just a little over a month until February 24th, which, of course, is NHL trade deadline day. What players could be on the move? If you're a team that's on the verge of contending, who does your team need to go out and snap up? i got a few names for you, some guys that could very well be on the move. Maybe your team's interested. I think the most obvious one, though, the one that we all know is going to be on the move somewhere, is John Gabriel Pajot. Now, this is where you sell high. Buy low, sell high. You are selling high if you're the Ottawa Senators on listening to a deal for John Gabriel Pajot. Because, let's face it, he's peaked. He's peaked, and I like him. I like John Gabriel Pajot, but he is never going to have a season like he's having right now. He will definitely help someone down the line. You know, and it's weird because John Gabriel Pajot is probably the big prize of this year's trade deadline class. We don't have the firepower that we've had in recent classes, especially last year when Matt Duchesne was on the move, but we do have the depth, and that I think is the most enticing part of this year's class. When you have guys like John Gabriel Pajot in the midst of a career year, probably at his ceiling, he's going to be a free agent at year's end. You get him for the rest of this season, and you let him walk. He can help you with a cup run. He stays healthy, and he keeps having the year he's having. He's going to help your team make a cup run. How about Tyler Toffoli? 27 years old. He'll be a free agent at season's end. He hasn't been on a cup contending team in about six years, something like that. And it's not going to get any better. It's not going to change anytime soon out in L.A. He's a guy that has one of the best snipes as a right winger. He's got one of the best snipe shots in the league. I almost feel like he's got untapped potential. Like we didn't get to see him play for a cup contending team during his prime. He could be a guy that could be a whole different animal during a cup chase. I'd like to see him get a shot somewhere else. And I do believe that he will get a shot somewhere else. He's going to be on the move. How about a few other names for you? Chris Kreider, he'd be another guy that, you know, New York, as in the Rangers, they're just not doing it for me. They're not really doing it for themselves or for anybody that says, we're going to make a deep run into the summer this year. You know, he's a guy that blends speed and scoring at just 28 years old. He's a guy that you would like to re-sign at season's end when his contract expires. I do believe, I do believe he'll be wearing a different jersey by season's end. Will he still be wearing that jersey next fall? I think there's a really good shot of it. How about a few other names for you guys that could be on the move? Alex Galchenyuk? I mean, yeah, that just didn't work out for the Penguins like they hoped. They trade Phil Kessel to Arizona. They get Galchenyuk, who had been on a steady decline. But they saw enough of him during his really good years up north. They saw enough of him then that they thought, maybe we can get that out of him again. It just hasn't worked out. It hasn't been a good trade for Pittsburgh. They're going to look to unload him. If Pittsburgh does make a move this offseason, though, and I'm talking about Pittsburgh trying to bring somebody in rather than ship out, keep an eye on Jason Zucker of the Minnesota Wild. This is my theory. Pittsburgh is going to be looking for a player of Jake Gensel's caliber. Gensel, of course, is going to be out until April. He suffered that nasty injury when he collided with a board after scoring a goal a few weeks ago. And Jason Zucker is 
a Jake Gensel doppelganger. Now, there's no pressure on Minnesota to trade him. He's a good player. Minnesota's in the postseason race, and Zucker has three years left on his contract. Still, keep an eye on Jason Zucker, maybe as an outside candidate to get traded come deadline day. Who else could be on the move? Well, take your pick from anybody on that New Jersey Devils roster. Season just hasn't worked out like it should have. I'm not saying like they hoped, but like it should have. You have a guy who was coaching them at the start of the year. He's got a new job with Nashville now. John Hines is a good enough coach. I don't know why he underachieved this year or has underachieved throughout his years in New Jersey. You've got guys like Sammy Vantanen, Wayne Simmons, P.K. Subban, you already have Ray Shero out as general manager, and he said he doesn't want to get rid of guys like Subban. But if he's not there anymore, what's stopping him? What's stopping him from shipping those guys out to a cup contender? Because those guys are absolutely guys that could fetch you a first-round pick. I wouldn't be shocked to see anybody, really, on New Jersey go at the deadline. How about the situation that Chicago has in net? You have both goaltenders here that are in play, that are worthy of being trade bait. You have Robin Leonard, who's younger. He has a lot more in the tank than Corey Crawford, a guy who has won two Stanley Cups already. He's declining. He has trouble staying healthy. Yet, there's a strong possibility somebody would be willing to take the 35-year-old goaltender. Chicago's not contending this year, but if you're looking for the long term, Robin Leonard's your guy. That being said, Robin Leonard can certainly help a team. That is winning. That is in contention this year. And he's another guy. Maybe you get a first-round pick out of it. So do you want your goalie of the future? Do you want to keep him and cut ties with the guy who's won you a couple of cups? Or do you want to trade Leonard, sell high because of what you could get back for his youth and his ability to stay healthy? That is what you should be keeping an eye on in Chicago. And then a few other guys that could be out there. We'll just float them around. How about this one? Cal Palmieri. He's got one year left on his deal, just 28 years old. He's a guy that has a great shot, and he's a great power play guy. They're already hearing offers for him. And this is a guy that could be one of the highest cash-ins of this year's trade deadline class. I don't know that New Jersey wants to put him out there. He's been a staple with that team for so long, and he's certainly got more in the tank. But New Jersey's at a point where they may just not care about the Ray Sherrill method. Why should they? Because he's gone. Kyle Palmieri could be one of the biggest cash cows, for lack of a better term, at trade deadline day. We're going to keep diving deeper into this as the trade deadline approaches in the NHL, but i got to take a timeout. When we come back, if Tom Brady's really on the move, what jersey will he be wearing next year? Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of today's show, it's available for you on demand with The Sports Pen podcast. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play or look up ESPNUP.com and check out the on-demand there. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along once again. Don't forget Westwood Patriot Girls Basketball this evening here on ESPN-UP. Uh, we'll get the pregame going approximately 7 o'clock with tip-off set for 7.15. It's my hope you join myself and Jared Kosky on the call. If Tom Brady is going to lead the New England Patriots, what would be the best team for him to go to? I've got my rankings. I'm going to share with you the results because I believe I've determined the team that would be best for Tom Brady if he truly is leaving New England. 
Now, why are these rumors speculating? Why is this trendy right now? We've been talking about it before. Tom Brady's going to be a free agent at the, uh, well, at the end of the season. His season's already over. But after Super Bowl Sunday, he will officially be a free agent. Saturday night at the 42nd fight, (laughs) Conor McGregor and Cowboy Cerrone, Tom Brady was spotted sitting with Mark Davis, the owner of the now Las Vegas Raiders. And there was speculation behind that saying, could the Raiders be sweet-talking Tom Brady? Could the Raiders be putting in their pitch to try and get the guy who's going to go down as the greatest quarterback of all time? Well, it made me wonder, would the Raiders be the best fit for him? So I decided to compile this ranking system. You know the way that I like to do rankings. So I've got three categories here and the 10 teams most likely to have a new quarterback under center next year. So I've got the categories of coach. Would this coach be somebody Tom Brady would like to work with? Is he a skilled offensive mind? Is he good with quarterbacks? I rank the teams one through 10 in that category. Talent on the roster, talent around him. I mainly took into effect running back, offensive line, and tight ends. Because as Brady gets older, his arm strength deteriorates, he's not making those throws to the outside. Receivers don't matter as much as tight ends do to Tom Brady right now. They matter, just not as much as a tight end or running back to take some of the load off or an offensive line to protect his 43-year-old body. And then window or need, whichever way you want to interpret it as. Does this team have a Super Bowl window? Because Tom Brady is not a five-year option. Tom Brady is a guy that comes in, wins his Super Bowl, and then that's probably it for him. That's his curtain call. Do you have the roster where you could plug in a quarterback with deteriorating arm strength, but he's smart and he's a leader? Do you have the talent around him to say that you can win right now. Now that's kind of a combination of both coach and talent on the roster, which each have their own separate categories. But the need, the Super Bowl window, I'm going to say is a combination of those two, that that's going to be taken into account all by itself. Because the numbers vary a little bit from category to category. So you know how it works. I rank them 1 to 10. Every ranking that you are, whatever ranking you get, that's a point. So if you're first in one category, that's one point. If you're fifth in another, that's five points. Add them all up at the end. Lowest score wins. So here are my rankings. Let's start with Coach. If Tom Brady were leaving the Patriots, what team looking for a new quarterback next year realistically would be the best fit for him from a coaching aspect? First of all, let me give you the 10 teams that I have here that could be looking for quarterbacks next year. The Tennessee Titans, depending what happens with Tannehill, they want to renew his contract. The Chicago Bears, they might be looking to move on from Trubisky. The Denver Broncos, although I think they found something they like in Drew Locke. The Oakland Raiders, Derek Carr got booed by the Oakland fans in his last season there. Maybe things will be better in Las Vegas. I should change that and say the Las Vegas Raiders. The Indianapolis Colts. Because they are not sure if Jacoby Brissett is the guy moving forward after last year's sputter to the end of the season. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Jameis Winston, I don't think Bruce Arians likes him very much. And he wants $30 million to throw 30 touchdowns but get intercepted 30 times. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the Nick Foles thing didn't work out. I don't know if they're in love with Minshew going forward. The Carolina Panthers, it is not Cam Newton's team anymore. May not be Kyle Allen's team. 
they could be looking for a new man under center. The L.A. Chargers, a lot of speculation because yesterday it was announced that Phillip Rivers is no longer living in San Diego. Neither of the Chargers the last couple of years. Why is that news? Phillip Rivers sells his San Diego house. That being said, we know he's starting to age a little bit, starting to age out of his prime. After an MVP caliber season last year, he was a turnover machine this season. And then the Miami Dolphins, we all know they're going to have a new quarterback next year. We think it's going to be Tua Tungabailoa, but you never know. If they got Tom Brady, you think they'd take one year of Tom Brady over a lifetime potentially of Tua Tungabailoa? Probably not. But let's put them on there anyway for a nice even 10. I did not put the Cincinnati Bengals on there either because we know it's going to be Joe Burrow. I mean, they're going to have a new quarterback next year, but we know who it's going to be. We already know who it's going to be. So let's start ranking these teams. From a coaching aspect, which coaching staff would give Tom Brady the best chance to win if he plays elsewhere next year. I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at number one. Bruce Arians and the job that he has done with quarterbacks consistently, I think that he would get the most out of Tom Brady as his skills start to decline, as his play starts to decline. Bruce Arians is a guy that will be able to coach somebody, even with an ego. He did that with Jameis. I'm not saying Tom Brady has an ego, but he's won six Super Bowls. Bruce Arians hasn't. He hasn't even won one. Why should Tom Brady listen to him? Because Bruce Arians has the credibility when working with quarterbacks. I believe he'd squeeze every last drop out of whatever Tom has left. Number two, I'll go with the Tennessee Titans. Even though it's a defensive head coach there and Mike Vrabel, they're pals. Him and Tom, they were teammates together. They won three Super Bowls together in New England. Plus, on the offensive side, you have Arthur Smith, one of the brilliant young play callers in our game, just 37 years old. I mean, you saw what he did yesterday with the big man touchdown, drawing that up. That's why I believe the Tennessee coaching staff would be one of the best fits for Brady. Because he'd be humble enough to listen to a coordinator younger than him. Because he's being coached by a guy he respects very much. A guy that a lot of people in the league respect very much, and Mike Vrabel. A guy that Tom Brady himself has thrown a touchdown pass to. Number three, the Indianapolis coaching staff with Frank Reich. The job that he's done developing quarterbacks, whether that be Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett had some pretty good moments under him. He was a quarterback himself. He's one of those guys that he spent most of his career holding the plate chart as a career backup quarterback mostly. And you learn doing that. It's like being a backup catcher. They go on to be great baseball managers. Frank Reich, to me, is number three on this list, followed by John Gruden. I think Tom Bray would like playing for John Gruden. Number five, yeah, this might surprise you, but I'm going to go with the Carolina Panthers coaching staff. Matt Rule, right out of college, I know that's really the biggest criticism against him is he doesn't have NFL experience. He's making the jump from college to the pros. So why is he ranked in the top half? Because he's not giving us a reason not to. Look what he's done at Temple and Baylor. The job that he's done developing those quarterbacks, Philip Walker and Charlie Brewer. Plus you bring in Joe Brady. Joe Brady and Tom Brady together? Joe Brady and what he just did with Joe Burrow at LSU? Give me a little bit of that if I'm Tom Brady. I'd be okay with that. So you have a great culture guy who's not giving us a reason to doubt him paired up with a guy who had the most prolific pro-style offense maybe in college football history. I think Tom Brady would love that. That's why Carolina, for me, is in the top half. Number six, Denver. Another defensive-minded head coach, Vic Fangio, he made... A great hire, getting Pat Shermer as his offensive coordinator. Shermer is a quarterback specialist. I think Tom Brady would benefit from that. Number seven, Chicago. 
I don't know if Tom Brady and Matt Nagy would get along. I just don't know. I don't know if I see that. Number eight on the list, I'm kind of running through these here in the interest of time. Number eight would be the Chargers. I like Anthony Lynn. I do. I'm not saying that he's deservedly low in this list, but he's a running backs coach by trade. I don't know what he has to offer a quarterback. As, not as much as the others on this list. That's why I have him so low. Number nine, Doug Marone from Jacksonville. God just hasn't impressed me during his time there. And then number 10, another former Patriot, Brian Flores. He knows Tom Brady, but he's a defensive-minded coach. And his assistants don't jump out at me as guys that are ready to take on the reins of Tom Brady. I don't think that there's anybody else on that staff, no offensive mind on Miami staff that has the credibility to coach Tom Brady or for him to be coached by. So those are my rankings for best coach. How about talent, the roster, taking into account offensive line, running back, and tight ends. Those position groups are weighted. And the number one team in that sense to me is Indianapolis. They've got a really good running back with Marlon Mack. They've got maybe the best offensive line in football, although how do you argue that they have the best offensive line in football? And they have two really good tight ends with Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle. Plus, you have a pretty good wideout, too, in T.Y. Hilton. To me, Indianapolis has the most talented roster of any of these teams that Tom Brady could land on. Number two, being Tampa Bay. Yeah, the running game's not where it should be yet. The offensive line is really good. You've got two good tight ends and two elite wide receivers. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, we can say they're elite by now. I think Tom Brady would do well there with the roster on that team plus the coach Tampa Bay has. Number three would be Oakland. Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller, check, check on your running back and tight end mix. They have a pretty good offensive line. Plus, on the other side, you've got a really good defense. I think Tom Brady would get along just fine in Oakland. Number four, Tennessee, especially if they re-sign Derrick Henry, who not enough people are talking about as a free agent this offseason. Oh, boy, what a luxury that would be. You're basically plugging in Tom Brady to this year's team instead of Ryan Tannehill. That might be a team that could contend with Kansas City for the AFC Championship yesterday. Number five, I'm going with Denver. Yeah, Denver's got what Tom Brady would be looking for as an aging quarterback, a really good offensive line, a really young and talented tight end and Noah Fant, and Philip Lindsay, who didn't have the elite year that he did last season, but he's explosive and he's a good runner. Number six, Jacksonville. You've got Leonard Fournette. He's a good pass-catching back. They rotate three different tight ends in there. Their offensive line is a little bit shaky, but there's a lot you can do with Leonard Fournette. That that's why they're number six. Number seven, Christian McCaffrey and the Carolina Panthers. Mainly because of Christian McCaffrey. That's why they're where they are. Because they don't have elite wide receivers. They don't have an elite offensive line. They've got an aging tight end whose best days are well behind him. But still, could you imagine Tom Brady and Christian McCaffrey in the hands of Matt Rule and Joe Brady? That could be a pretty fun offense. I can see the appeal there. Number eight would be Chicago. I mean, they've got Trey Burton at tight end. They've got Tariq Cohen in the backfield. But the line wasn't great, and they don't have as much that they can offer Tom Brady as other teams on this list could. Number nine, I'll go with the Chargers. Their best offensive player, depending what happens with Melvin Gordon, is a wide receiver. It's Mike Williams. And if your best weapon's a wide receiver, probably not a great fit for Tom Brady. I don't know what they're going to do at the tight end position. They do have Austin Eckler, regardless of Melvin Gordon. He's a good pass-catching back. 
that takes some of the load off Tom Brady. And then number 10, the Dolphins, because who knows what that team is going to look like next year. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick led that team in rushing this year. Tom Brady can't have that happen. Tom Brady can't allow that to happen. Can't allow himself to go to Miami. I can already tell you that. Those are my rankings for talent. How about for need? The window. The team with the best Super Bowl window that if you put Tom Brady in there right now, would he elevate that team to be in a Super Bowl contender? Not a team that's rebuilding. Not a team in need of a five-year plan, but somebody who can take a one-and-done with Tom Brady. Win potentially a Super Bowl this year. Tom retires. And then you're looking for a new quarterback elsewhere. Number one for me is Indianapolis. They're not under pressure to win right now. But Andrew Luck with that team, they were having Super Bowl aspirations. Could they do the same with one-year Tom Brady? I think they have a better shot than anybody else on this list, so that's why I put them at number one. Number two, Tennessee. I mean, they were right there this year. And like I said a couple minutes ago, if you plug in Tom Brady over Ryan Tannehill, how differently might this season have looked? Number three, Oakland. For a while, we were talking about Oakland maybe getting into the postseason as a wild card, maybe even win that division. And then KC really took it to him one week, and season kind of spiraled down after that. But we were talking about Gruden could be coach of the year if that works out. They still have a good enough roster. They can make a run next season with Tom Brady or without. They'll make a playoff run. I don't know about a Super Bowl run. But they could definitely win with Tom Brady wearing the black and silver. Number four, Tampa Bay. There's no pressure on them to win right now, and they've still got a really good team that's going to run that division in New Orleans. And then they've got a couple of teams we don't know what to make of yet with Atlanta and Carolina. So I don't know that adding Tom Brady immediately elevates them to Super Bowl contention, but it helps. Number five, Chicago. This was a team that just saw Mitch Trubisky regress this season, regress in a big way. And they really had the same team and the same defense that carried them to the postseason last year as NFC North champs. I still think they've got that group. They have the defense. You plug Tom Brady in, a capable quarterback, instead of Trubisky with that defense. Yeah, the Bears should be a team that can contend for that division again. Number six, Denver. They are not in win-now mode, right? I mean, they finished second best in that division this year at 7-9, and nine, but... I think Oakland's going to have the edge on them next year. And the Chargers, if they aren't just so snake-bitten, could have finished ahead of Denver. So I don't know that the pressure's on them to win or that they even have the team to bring in a quarterback on a one-and-done. Number seven, I'll go with the Chargers, largely for that same reason. Number eight, the Panthers. they, They are a rebuilding team. They have a new coach. They're getting a new quarterback regardless of what happens with Tom Brady because they have to. They have to. Whether Tom Brady comes there or not, they need to make a change at quarterback. They don't have a lot around him anyway. It's a rebuild year for Carolina. Number nine, Jacksonville, because they don't have the defense they used to. They don't have big aspirations for a championship. They have a team that is clearly better than them, that won the division this year, and another team clearly better than them that made it to the AFC Championship this year. Plus, who knows what the Colts are going to look like next season. And then number 10, Miami. Miami gets... 10th in all three of these categories because they're just not built to win no matter who's at quarterback for them they're just they're going through a long rebuild maybe they're doing it the right way I tend to think they are but they're still in rebuild mode so those are my rankings so we total all the scores up if Tom Brady leaves New England 
what would be the best team for him to go to? Best score? Indianapolis. Tom Brady in an Indianapolis Colts uniform would make the most sense if he is to leave New England. Other scores, by the way, before we sign off. Tampa Bay had seven. Tennessee had eight. Oakland had ten. So those teams would all be good fits for Tom Brady as well. Indianapolis, Tampa Bay, Tennessee, and Oakland in that order. Denver had 17. Carolina and Chicago tied with 20 points. Jacksonville and the Chargers each with 24. And then Miami, 30. Because they were last in all three categories. Tom Brady's not going to Miami. He is a competitor. He's not looking to ride off into the sunset trying to carry a team. There's no way he's going to Miami. Put those rumors to bed. I tell you what, though. That is our show. Appreciate you being along. We packed a lot into that hour. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. And it's my hope that you join me. Until then, signing off for ESPN-UPWZ, I'm Ishpeming Marquette. I'm Tanner Hoops.